This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The second lesson comes from Philippians 2. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but... In humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, in which you shine like stars in the world." It is by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you must also be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. All of them are seeking their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy's worth, you know, how like a son with a father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I will also come soon. Still, I think it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was indeed so ill that he nearly died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. I am the more eager to send him, therefore in order that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Welcome him then in the Lord with all joy, and honor such people, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, 
risking his life to make up for those services that you could not give me. Holy wisdom, holy word. Four weeks on four chapters of the letter of Philippians. That's where we are at at Lord of Life Church. Last week, chapter 1. This week, chapter 2. Next week, Pastor Buckenroth, chapter 3. Chapter 4, our interim pastor, Dr. Jim Childs. There's a ton of context to cover. You can't just read a big, long lesson like that without understanding what it is about. Paul's writing to a former congregation, somewhere he served, somewhere he loved. Um, He's writing with love to those that he loved, and he's writing about God's love. It's five or six years since he left. He's traveled, he's preached, he's started other congregations elsewhere, and they stayed somewhat loosely connected by letters, Paul and the whole congregation, not individuals. And they heard that Paul was in jail for the faith, and so they sent a guy named Epaphroditus. And they sent him with food and with some clothing, and they sent him with prayers, most of all. And the letter to the Philippians is Paul writing back to the church in Philippi. It's a four-page letter, which was read over and over and over again in the early church until eventually it was canonized, that it was included in what we call the Holy Scripture, that it would be of value for all congregations to hear. 2,500 years ago, Philip of Macedon discovered gold, like always happens with gold. He enslaved other people to mine it for him. And the richer he got, the more people he enslaved. He got rich, they got abused. And with all the gold that he built, a city um, to protect all of his gold. And he named the city after himself. The city was called Philippi. He gets assassinated, by the way. Um, His kingdom is passed on to his son. You probably have heard of him. His name is Alexander the Great. And Alexander became great because he inherited his father's army and his father's gold and his father's terror. Alexander the Great conquers the whole world by the age of 32. However, he dies. And what is called the Macedonian kingdom disintegrates. We don't hear about Philippi for a couple of more centuries. Caesar Augustus is having a power struggle with some guys named Cassius and Brutus, not the Buckeye. (laughs) Augustus uh, defeats them so definitively at the Battle of Philippi that Cassius and Brutus are so disgraced that they kill themselves rather than return. Augustus goes on to become the emperor of Rome. And that moment is the fulcrum, is the dividing point, the the change between a Roman republic, a democracy, and a Roman empire that is led by one wealthy, arrogant, rich man, Caesar, who ruled the world. And the rise of Augustus Caesar was at the Battle of Philippi, And it is at that very spot that Paul starts the church in Philippi. Now, I wouldn't waste time telling you that if it wouldn't help you understand the letter in a whole. So it's a Greek city. 
It's Macedonian, has all the baggage about kings and power and slaves and gold. But it's also, it's a Roman colony. And Rome, if anything at all, Rome is hierarchical. There are rulers and there are the oppressed and a whole bunch of stratification in between. Everybody in Rome knows where they stand on the ladder. And it's not always explicit. Sometimes it's implicit. So at the very top was a senate, 600 men who called all the shots. Everybody bows down to them. They run everything. Underneath them are the equestrians. Those are people rich enough to own a horse when we go to war. If you ever wondered how cars and transportation became such a status symbol, that's where it begins. Underneath them are called the decorans, a bunch of wannabes, political wonks. And all of that I've described, that's about 2%. 2% that rule the Roman Empire. Underneath them, a big group called citizens. Uh, you had rights. Uh, you could own some property. But most importantly, you were entitled to due process. And then, I know this is kind of stuffy. I'm going to come back. It's going to make sense. Underneath that were called freedmen. Uh, had liberty, but they didn't have any of those rights. And then at the very, very bottom of the ladder was another whole category. And the category was slave. Nobody wanted to be a slave. Nobody. Now, it's a really big deal. Vertically arranged society, stratified culture, status, who has it, who doesn't. So in Philippi, everybody knew where they were standing on the ladder. And the goal, let's be honest, the goal was to go up the ladder, right? That's what we do. That's why we study hard. That's why we work hard. The goal is to go up the ladder, to be exalted, and nobody wants to go down the ladder. Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible says that Rome was the most status-conscious society in the history of civilization. And no city was more obsessed with status than Philippi. And so the idea now of somebody intentionally humbling themselves deliberately going down the ladder is stupid. Now, I had to tell you all of that so that I could tell you this. Paul goes to Philippi. He starts the church. Talked about it last week. It's in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. He starts it with a bunch of bottom-rung people. He starts it with a woman named Lydia. A woman. A Gentile a non-believer, and he starts it with a bunch of prison guards who were spared their lives because of God's grace. And Paul's basic message when he starts the church is, you know, that latter thing is really good, but Jesus is the Lord. Jesus. Let me say that again because it was the very first creed of the church. It's the fulcrum. It's the pivot for discipleship. If you know it, if you believe it, if it, it will change how you see the world and how you think about the latter. The good news of God is that Jesus, not Caesar, not the country, not money, not the president, Jesus is Lord of all. Now, if you go around in the ancient world in Rome and you say that anything else other than Caesar is Lord, that gets you in a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. Jesus was crucified for saying that he was the Lord of all. Now that's a recurring theme wherever Paul goes. 
the reign of God, the lordship of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the extravagant grace, radical inclusion, relentless compassion of Jesus is a fact. But that fact is so unsettling to people of power and status that like Jesus being crucified, Paul often ends up beaten and in jail. In Acts 16, he is stripped, he's brutalized, he's humiliated, thrown in prison. You can read it about in Acts 16. We would never read it in worship for fear of the language. And then, after being brutalized, they are miraculously delivered by God one night. They're singing songs and all the doors open up and they could walk out of the prison. But they don't. Instead, they just stay and probably saved the Roman guards' lives by staying. And those guards become followers of Jesus, and they are the first leaders of the church in Philippi. But then, I think this is really interesting, but then they still know that Paul, he's a troublemaker. And they bring him before the officials, and they're gonna kill him. That's the way you silence people. But Paul says, no, 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 you can't do that, you can't do that. I am a Roman citizen. Oh, oh. Now this took me a moment to understand myself, and by a moment I mean about 50 years. (laughs) Why did Paul wait until after they beat him, and after he was brutalized, and after he was in prison? Why did he wait all of that time to say, hey, you can't do that, I'm a citizen. When I was in Palestine, the first time somebody pushed me around with an Israeli thing, the first thing I'd do is pull out my passport and say, hey, I'm an American. When the church in Philippi got going, everything they ever knew, all their customs, all their thinking, all their feeling, had been about those categories, about how the main thing to do spiritually and in life is to climb the ladder and how to keep other people from climbing ahead of you. And Paul had been trying to equip them in becoming a new community, he called it, a community of sisters and brothers who would eat together, who would pray together, who would worship together, who would love together, who would laugh together. He is constituting them to be a new community in Christ. In his words, neither slave nor free, male nor female, Jew nor Greek, is how Paul said it. WW accepting all is how we say it. So how do you equip people who the rest of their lives have been taught that the latter is everything, how do you equip people to be the new community of Jesus? Paul knew that anyone who proclaimed the extravagant, radical, relentless love of God is gonna suffer. Paul knew that. They were gonna suffer for Jesus, they were going. But most of them did not have a citizenship or a blue passport to pull out when the suffering began. So Paul does something very few people are willing to do. Paul humbles himself. He went from Roman citizen to slave. That is how God used Paul to change the world. Here's the million dollar question. Up front I wanna tell you that We have a whole season of the church year, every single year for 2,000 years to wrestle with this very same question. And we use this very same reading every single year during the 40 days of Lent. Why would Paul do such a thing? Why would he go down the ladder instead of up the ladder? And getting very personal right now, why would you consider going down instead of up? 
now that I'm ready to finally get to what Paul actually wrote in the second chapter of Philippians, let's get it really personal quick. When he writes to them, when he writes to us, which is why the church preserved the letter and why they called it scripture, he says to them, in your relationship with one another, have the same attitude and the same mind that Christ Jesus had, who being in the very nature of God, now let me make sure you heard that, who being in the very nature of God, where is that on the ladder? That's cosmic top of the ladder. You don't go any higher than that. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God was something to be used by advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, and even that is kind of interesting, human likeness, um, your appearance, your toga, your dress, your gold, your jewelry, your house, all proclaim who you are. That's how we do status in the world that we live in. And being found in human appearance, he humbled himself. Nobody humbles themselves. Other people humble you, but you don't humble yourself. By becoming obedient, that's the words that you use for slaves, obedient, even unto death, even unto death on a cross. The Romans used crucifixion not to kill people. They used crucifixion to humiliate people and to make an example out of them. So that's where Jesus goes. He starts up here, cosmic, and he goes all the way into a dung-covered rut of crucifixion. Every year, so that we don't forget it, we spend 40 days remembering that journey. And then, as we know, comes the great reversal, which Paul shares it with the Philippians. Therefore, which I think means because Jesus did that, therefore, God exalted him in the highest of all places and gave him the name that's above every other name that every knee should bend towards Jesus and every voice should call his name. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. It ain't Caesar. It ain't the president. It ain't some flag. It ain't a political party. It ain't a CEO. It ain't a rock star. It ain't a movie star. It ain't a sports star. It ain't about money in the bank. It ain't about your parents. It ain't about what the preacher says. It ain't what the Pope says. Jesus Christ is Lord. Servant of all is Lord of all. That's a great reversal. And that great reversal gives us so much hope. It's the Easter story. We do Lent for 40 days, but we do Easter for seven weeks. And I picture Paul at that moment putting his pen down and maybe with some tears in his eyes, singing that great hymn that they all knew. They all knew that hymn you just shared with them. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him in the highest places and given him the name that's above all names. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord Every once in a while I hear somebody say, you don't have to come to church to worship. And I think that's really true because I think Paul was worshiping right there in that jail cell when he wrote that letter. But I also would submit that 
that worship was built on years of worshiping together in a community and they all knew the words, they all knew the story of the descent and the great reversal of God. There are actually seven to maybe 10 letters depending on how you look at scripture I guess that Paul writes to other churches. You learn a lot by how Paul writes by just looking at all those letters instead of just one. Uh, To the Galatians, Paul begins by saying, Paul, an apostle sent by Jesus Christ to the church, Uh, To the Ephesians, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. To the Colossians, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the very will of God. This is how he began the letter to the Philippians, a Roman colony in a Macedonian town. Paul, a slave of Christ. I'm telling you, that's a really big statement. The church is not going to be just one more place where people climb up ladders and lord it over others. There is no them in us. There is no ladder in the church. We already have one Lord, and none of us are that Lord. We have one Lord, and we have one faith, and we have one baptism. I'm a slave, Paul says. I'm a slave. We're all slaves. We're slaves of a dishonored slave who is the Lord of all. And he jumps right into it at the very end of that second page. He says, so... Do nothing from this point on out of selfish ambition. Rather, in humility, value others more than you value yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others. You see, those, those aren't empty words. Those are not abstract ideas. Those are real choices. We live them out in our daily lives as the people of Jesus. That's what we do in the church. You see, Paul really loves the church in Philippi. He, he loves them. Whatever happens to you, he says, as citizens of heaven, which is kind of interesting. He doesn't say citizens of Rome. Whatever happens to you as citizens of heaven, live in a manner that is worthy of Jesus. Paul writes, therefore, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. I want to make sure you get it because... I've been privileged to live it out here. When you humble yourself, you get lifted up. When you empty yourself, you get filled up. When you lower yourself, you get exalted. When you screw things up, you get forgiven. When you forget yourself, you get remembered. And we all get that. We get all of that from Jesus, head of the body. Came down from heaven crucified, died, and buried, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. Would you say it with me one more time? Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Amen.